The biggest shift for me was understanding that God wasn't just my God. He was my Father. Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. Grab a cup of coffee and join Colleen Tinker and Nikki Stevenson as they discuss their life after Adventism. Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. I'm Nikki Stevenson. And I'm Colleen Tinker. In this week's episode of the Life After Adventism series, we're going to be talking about prayer. Now, you might wonder why we would choose to talk about prayer after Adventism. I know that if someone had told me when I first left that even prayer is different for Christians, I would have been skeptical. Oh, yeah. After all, is there really a wrong way to talk to God? If this sounds like you, just hang in there with us. Because the truth is that having a biblical understanding of God and reality absolutely does change how and what we pray for. God's will for us in prayer is not elusive or mysterious, and when we understand what He wants us to know and to pray about, we enter into fruitful ministry with the Lord as we grow in sanctification and in our walk with Him, learning to trust Him. The world, even the Christian world, will always offer us new formulas and new spiritual practices related to prayer. However, the scriptures are sufficient for all things, and they do teach us how to pray. They not only inform us of God's desire from us in prayer, they also protect us from seemingly benign but doctrinally deviant spiritual trends and practices. Before we dive in, though, let me remind you that we love hearing from you. You can write to us at formeradventist at gmail.com. Visit proclamationmagazine.com to sign up for our weekly emails and to view our online articles and other ministry news. You can like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, because we're talking about prayer in this episode, I'm actually going to open us up with prayer before we get started. Okay. Father, thank you so much for this ministry. Thank you for this opportunity for us to gather with other new formers, people seeking to know you in this venue. Lord, we pray that you would teach us what we need to know through your word and by your spirit, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your truth and hearts that respond. I pray for those who are listening, Lord, that if they don't know you, that they would know their need for you and that they would see your truth in Scripture, and that they would come to faith. I pray that you would keep us faithful as we speak about your word and about prayer. And Lord, that you would keep us from error. We love you, and we entrust this time with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, Colleen, so here's my question for you. Okay. I want to know what prayer was like for you as an Adventist, and how it's different for you now. Wow. You know, my memory of prayer as an Adventist through most of my life until I knew the Lord in my mid-40s was a series of variations on pleading and begging. Mostly pleading and begging that God would forgive me of all of my little faults and sins and save me. As a child, I remember being beset with feelings of failure and being actually kind of OCD about prayer. Everything I did, I felt like, oh, there was something there that was wrong, and I was asking God to forgive me. And it permeated a lot of my days and made me quite anxious. Um, You know, some people hand wash. I prayed. It was an OCD thing as a child. 
And as I got older, it shifted. It didn't take up as much time necessarily, but my mind was always on the thought that I had probably failed God by failing in something I had done. And I was constantly asking God to forgive me, to fix what I had done wrong, or to help me to be good and help me to do well. And I also remember, as I got older, becoming really obsessed and fearful that something was going to go wrong and that I would not only fail spiritually, but that I would die from some terrible disease just because I probably deserved it. I mean, it it sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? It sounds pretty psychotic. But I spent a lot of my time praying and worrying and begging God, just begging God to take care of me, rescue me, fix me, make me well, help me to be good. And I never understood that I could actually have peace. I knew I was supposed to, but I didn't. And it wasn't until I really trusted Jesus that all of this stuff resolved and I realized that He had me. My life wasn't about getting the formula right. My life wasn't supposed to be about doing everything right and keeping all the little laws and rules and health things and doing enough exercise. I was pretty obsessive about stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But I realized gradually that I actually have a new father who sees and knows what I need, and he's asking me to trust him. So that was probably the biggest difference I can explain, is that I now pray from a place of trust. I know that God is taking care of me, and he knows what I need. And even though I can't see the future, I can bring him what I desire, I can bring him what I need, but I can trust him, I can let go of the need to be constantly hypervigilant and allow him to care for me, because I'm in his hands, and he Mm -hmm. even interprets my prayers. So the difference is going from desperate pleading to being able to trust and know that even if I forget to ask for something or to say something, he will take care of me because he's my true father. Yeah. He knows what you need before you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it is really a drastic difference. It wasn't until we were working on this, Nikki, that I started realizing how different it was for me. Yeah, that, same for me. You don't notice how you're changing and your thinking is changing right. until you look back and remember what you used to believe. Yeah. What, how is it different for you? It's very similar to what you described. As I was thinking about this, the first thought I had was, well, now I'm praying from salvation. I'm not praying for it. So Great. that word pleading... It's so accurate Mm -hmm. in its description of my conversations with him growing up, uh, pleading with him to save me, pleading with him to protect me from the things going on around me, pleading with him to not punish me the way I deserved it. Oh, yeah. To spare me. I carried that with me, you know, all through into my adulthood where Mm -hmm. I would... Anytime anything bad was happening in my life, I was sure it was God giving me what I deserved and praying for Him to forgive me. And oh, yes. I didn't know how to be repentant enough. Yes, that describes how I felt. <laughs> to be spared. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember my son became sick when he was five weeks old, and we were in the hospital, and the doctor said, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. He might not make it, but we're going to do everything we can. And... I had pastors coming to visit me. I had family members who worked in the church. No, these are their entire adult. Yep. 
Adventist worked in the Adventist yep. Adventist um, organization their entire life. Multi generational Adventists coming to see me in an Adventist hospital, but all they could say to me was, "Have faith, have faith." In what the sentence was never finished. It was just have faith. Oh my goodness! And I would look around that unit, that floor that we were on, and I saw so many babies there. A lot of them didn't have anybody with them. Oh. And I would think, well, who's going to save them? Who's supposed to have faith to save them? If oh. if they die, does that mean that someone didn't have enough faith? My faith is going to save my son. And I remember walking the halls. It was Christmas time. And I remember walking the halls and looking at the decorations and thinking about the Lord. And I said, I don't know you. Wow. I don't know what's happening. I don't know if I'm being punished. I don't know. What do I have to do? What am I supposed to have faith in? Show me who you are. Wow. And that began a journey. You know, it was my first time actually acknowledging that I didn't know God. I didn't know his character because I'm sorry, telling me the Ten Commandments are a reflection of his character doesn't tell me anything about a God who would let a baby go to the hospital. Right. Right. So I was without answers. And I realized all these people had no answers because they had nothing to offer me. And so thinking back on all of that now and realizing my prayer life was driven by my emotional life, my fears, the things I didn't understand. And it was all about protect me, protect people, send angels, always praying for God to send (laughs) angels. Yes, I did too. It's not at all like that anymore because now I know who God is and I know His attributes and I know what's true about Him and I know that I'm saved. Mm -hmm. And so I can come to Him in relationship with Him knowing that He's like you said, He's Abba, He's Father, He provides for us, He's sovereign. So whatever I'm walking through now, it didn't come to me without first passing by Him. <laughs> right. He permitted this in my life. Yes. And because I know Scripture, I know that all things work together for good, for those who are called by God, for those who love Him. They work out for our good and His glory. Right. And I can trust Him in the middle of it. For sure, my prayer life has grown since coming to faith. One of the significant moments for me was when you taught me how to thank God for what He's doing that I can't see. That's been huge in my life, too. That's a hard thing to do when you're going through something really traumatic, really difficult. Yeah. But it's an incredible thing to learn because Mm -hmm. you see His faithfulness. He gets you on the other side of it, and you know that He was at work. And it's just so, so, so different now. It's from relationship. It's not for it. It's from salvation. It's not for it. And then as I have spent time knowing Him better according to His Word, I understand better what He wants me praying about. Right. And my desires are changed by His Spirit, and that informs my prayers. That's hard even to explain, isn't it? It is. Well, you know, I I mean, as an Adventist, I would read the commands in Scripture about what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do, and it made me anxious. Me too. Now I can look at it and I can go, you know, Lord, I really struggle with that. Mm -hmm. Help me. Right. One of the things that has dawned on me that has helped prayer change for me, it wasn't something that I could have identified as I walked through my life. It's in retrospect that I see this. You know, we've mentioned this before, but the commands in the New Testament 
including the commands for praying, are being given to believers. Mm -hmm. But as an unbelieving Adventist, not knowing I was an unbeliever, I wanted to please God. I wanted to know Him. I didn't feel like I did, but I wanted to. I didn't understand the difference between being born again and not born again. I didn't understand the difference of being by nature a child of wrath in the domain of darkness and being made alive and transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son. What I realize now, Nikki, is that that curtain, when Jesus died, that curtain in the temple ripped. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The most holy place where historically the Shekinah glory of God had been and had been behind a curtain so that the brightness wouldn't blind and kill the sinful Israelites, but His presence was there. And when Jesus died, that curtain ripped because the way, literally, the way for humanity to talk to God was opened because of Jesus's blood. I did not know that as an Adventist. So now what I'm seeing when I look at the commands and the commands to pray in the New Testament, I realize that the first command any person has to deal with is the command to believe. Mm -hmm. And as an Adventist, that was what I had to do before the praying thing actually started to make sense. All that pleading, all that begging, all that fear, all that anxiety, it did not resolve until I understood that Jesus had done everything needed for me. And when the curtain tore, that means every sinner on earth can come straight to God and ask for Him to forgive them and to show them who He is, because Jesus' blood has opened the way. Prior to Jesus' death, nobody could approach God without a sacrifice. You know, think about it. Nobody, even in Israel, could pull and approach God and ask for forgiveness without a sacrifice. But now, that's open for everybody. (laughs) And that's the first prayer we have to pray. And that makes all the other stuff possible because that's how we know He's our Father. And sometimes that first prayer isn't a prayer to believe. Sometimes it's a prayer asking Him to reveal Himself to us. I agree. To show us that He is, in fact, real. As an Adventist, it's so strange for me to think about this, but even with all of that confusion about Him, I thought we had Him figured out better than anyone else. Right. And so I kind of had I had Him figured out in a duplicitous kind of way. But when I realized that he was different, that he was not the God that I had learned about in Adventism, which is so hard to admit because we had the Bible. But when I realized that I had been taught a different Jesus and a different gospel, and I prayed a prayer of repentance, the first thing I prayed was forgive me for thinking I knew you. Forgive me for presuming to understand you. Reveal yourself to me. Mm -hmm. And he hasn't stopped. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And you know, even after I was saved, even after I was born again and everything was new and, and wonderful and hard and all that comes with this new life, I had a lot I had to learn about who God is. I had a lot of course correcting that needed to happen in my life. And there were people in the church, the body of Christ, or at least who professed to be in the body of Christ, who wanted to give me formulas for prayer. Yes. You know, both um, marketed to me just through Christian bookstores and radio and just people that you come across at church, you know, Mm -hmm. 
navigating that even was tricky. And one of the things that was really helpful to me, I remember having um, a meeting with Elizabeth Enrig, Gary Enrig's wife, mm-hmm. and she was talking to me about prayer. And we there was something going around at the, the church that we were attending at that time that was kind of a new way to pray. And she said to me, one of the things that you need to do when someone comes to you with a new method for prayers, anything like that, look in the Bible for patterns. What yes. is the pattern in scripture for how to pray? How do we see the apostles praying? How do we see the Old Testament prophets even praying? Mm-hmm. What does prayer look like in the Bible? And then we just stick to that. <laughs> that was very wise of her. It was very helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, related to that, One of the prayers I began to pray shortly after becoming a Christian that I still pray is related to what you were saying. I often pray that God will plant me deeply in truth and reality Mm -hmm. and protect me from deception. And I know that truth and reality is available to me through His Word, taught by His Spirit as I trust Him and submit my mind to His Word and to Him. And the longer I've been out, Nikki, this is the strangest thing because... I am more and more confident in who he is and in my relationship with him as his adopted daughter, born again. But I also am more aware than ever that deception can come upon one so subtly mm-hmm. and kind of like out of left field and you embrace it or question it or look at it before you know what it is. And I really have to depend on God to keep me grounded in truth. Asking Him to protect me from deception and to keep me grounded in truth and reality have become things that I've had to trust Him to do. I could question myself. I could question every single thing I think and look at. And I have to know that if I am committed to His Word and committed to Him, He really will protect me. And along with that, I pray that He will keep me faithful. Because, Nikki, I don't always know how to be faithful from a human perspective when I'm looking at the the work we do, the blogs we put out every week, even what we're saying in a podcast. Yeah. You know, I don't want to misrepresent His Word. I really pray that He will teach us Himself through His Word, by His Spirit, and keep us faithful. And I have to know that His Word can't be broken and His promises to be faithful. I mean, He says in, in 2 Timothy, He says, If we are faithless, He is faithful because He cannot deny Himself. And I have to trust that. That's His Word. So I can pray to Him on that basis. And it gives me a lot of comfort because I don't have to be my own hypervigilant policeman anymore. (laughs) I have God who will course correct me. Mm -hmm. And like we were saying in a previous episode, just making it a habit in your life to read through scripture. It informs you about things you don't even know you're thinking about yet. It's you true. know, as we were preparing for this podcast, we were going back in our thinking to Bible verses yeah. that have informed us as believers about how to pray. No doubt we spent a lot of time in Ephesians. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> but even thinking about the high priestly prayer mm-hmm. or Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray in the Lord's Prayer or the commands in the epistles, what we're told to pray for, or the model of the apostles on how they prayed for the church and for us, all of this begins to shape our thinking in what matters to God. What is He asking us to bring to Him in prayer? You know, one of the hangups for me, I have to say, 
I knew God wanted me to pray about all these things, but I didn't understand why. Right. I used to wonder that too. Why does he want me to do this? He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's able to handle it all without me asking him to. And for that, the only answer I have is because he said so. (laughs) That's my answer too. I don't have any other explanation. And I know that when I do pray and when I do come to him with these things, there is a blessing in my life that comes with that that I can't explain. You know, this reminds me of an incident that happened in my life 10 years ago now. And I had been told that I might have breast cancer. And I had to kind of give it some time. I had to have some further tests. And it was six months before the issue was resolved. So for six months, I lived with the thought that I might have to have pretty invasive surgery. And my life was hanging in the balance in a sense. Mm -hmm. And for me, with my background and past, not knowing and not being able to resolve the unknown, the anxiety in my life was overwhelming. But this was different. And I'll never forget the thing that became a pivotal moment for me. Some of you may remember Chris Lee, who used to write the back page Mm -hmm. on The Life After Before You Took the Column, Nikki. Chris emailed me and said, I am praying Philippians 4, 4 to 7 for you. And this is what that passage says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that verse has become like a life verse for me. I'll never forget getting that email from Chris and thanking God for his provision for me through a brother in Christ who was praying this passage for me. And here's what I began to realize. I was facing something that in my Adventist frame of thinking felt like I was facing life or death Mm -hmm. or permanent altering of who I was. Mm -hmm. But this passage doesn't say anything about healing. It was kind of an interesting thing for me to think through, and I realized when it says, rejoice in the Lord always, that doesn't say rejoice in my diagnosis or rejoice in the difficulty. It says rejoice in the Lord. He's there overarching whatever else may be there. And then, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. What I realized was that that is a command to a believer based on the fact that God's Word can't fail. If God's promises were conditional upon my performance, I couldn't pray this. But this is because His Word and His promise to be with me no matter what and to provide all that I need, all of His promises to His people, those can't fail. And that's the basis on which I have to approach things without being anxious to the point of jumping off a cliff. Yeah, I have to trust Him. I realized that God was asking me to bring him my requests. And I remember asking him then, this is just during the time our first grandchild was about to be born. And I remember saying, Lord, I really want to be here to watch my grandchild grow up. And I'm asking that if it's your will, you will preserve me. But more than that, I'm asking that you hold my heart in peace. And I remember during that six months, sometimes 
every five minutes, sometimes every couple hours, I would have to go back and say, Lord, I trust you, and I'm asking you to please hold me in peace. And when I learned that I was cleared at the end of six months, I realized I was extremely thankful, extremely relieved, but I actually said to myself, I'm going to miss how much I depended on God during this. Yeah, I felt like I understood who He was in a way I never had, and He had been with me. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Chris, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you describe. We, I believe that we come to know Him even more in our suffering when we're born again. 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. When we go through that kind of suffering, Mm-hmm. and we trust Him, and we are comforted by God, it stays with us. It does. It doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. We know Him more. We have more of an intimate understanding of who God is and how He cares for us. And then we we pass that back down to somebody else who needs it, and we share that with them, which is what you did with me when you told me to thank God for what He was doing that I couldn't see when my health was was failing me. And these things, they, they wouldn't make sense apart from Scripture. No. We wouldn't know how to do any of this apart from the Word of God. I don't always understand why we are so naturally, as people, mm-hmm. gravitate toward these formulas and these, these other methods. They might make you feel like you're connecting to something else, but really, truly, Scripture is sufficient for telling us how to walk through these things with Him. That passage you read in Philippians I believe it goes on to to say what we're to set our minds on. Yeah, it does. And so part of casting that anxiety on Him and trusting Him and thanking Him and bringing our petitions to Him is choosing to think about these other things that He's given to us to set our minds on. And, And then He guards our hearts in Christ Jesus. We wouldn't have that avenue to know Him without His Word. And it makes me think of how works-oriented we were as Adventists. We wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have said that. I would have said I was doing everything because of my love for God or my desire to love God. I, I wasn't trying to work my way to heaven. I wouldn't have thought I was keeping the commandments to be saved because I was taught the Adventists doublespeak. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, trying to pray with a formula is just another pull back towards works. Mm -hmm. It comes from the flesh. It comes from how can I please God? How can I get what I need? If I pray, if I ask Him right, He'll perhaps honor my request. If He sees how desperately I need this, if He understands how much I need Him to help me, you know, it kind of reminds me of the pagans Mm -hmm. who, you know, were so desperate they would offer their firstborns to Moloch. You know, what would you stop at to get your God to respond to you? And that's kind of how I used to feel, although I wouldn't have thought about it in the same way as offering a firstborn. I was, in a sense, offering my mental health (laughs) to try to get God to answer me, and it wasn't working because I wasn't trusting Him. So I think about the fact that Ellen White, very much like a lot of Christians, 
One of her most famously quoted passages on prayer is that prayer is opening your heart to God as to a friend. And I want to say, that is not the model that Jesus taught his disciples. Jesus taught his disciples when they asked him how to pray, he gave them a model prayer. And I'm not saying that this model prayer is a formula that we walk through, but it's really interesting to look at what he actually said to them. And I know we all learned the Lord's Prayer, but it means something different to me than it did as an Adventist when I look at it now. Nikki, you were talking to me about your thoughts about this prayer before we started the podcast. Yeah, well, you know, Jesus says not to be repetitious and not to be rote in your prayer. So he didn't give this to us so that we could just repeat it over and over. You think of all of the examples in scripture where Jesus went and prayed all night. He wasn't just repeating the Lord's Prayer. No. He was revealing something to us. He was giving us a framework for yeah. how, to, how to think about God and think about prayer. And so I was looking at what does the Lord's Prayer tell us? The Lord tells us a lot about God and about our relationship to Him and with Him when we belong to Him. When we belong. It, he says that God is our Father. Yeah. In this prayer, He describes Him as holy, eternal, omnipotent, glorious King, sovereign over all. He's the provider of all we need, the forgiver of sins, the one who enables us to forgive. He's our rescuer from both our temptations and from evil, and we are to rejoice in who He is. And if we can remember all of those things when we approach God as His children, our prayers ought not contradict any of that. Right. The biggest shift for me was understanding that God wasn't just my God. He was my Father. Mm-hmm. And that's something Jesus taught His disciples to say. His followers, those who do the will of the Father, those who know the Lord Jesus, are to think of God as Father. Unbelievers may call Him God, but when we are truly His We have a privilege of approaching Him as Father. And I'll never forget that repeatedly over the years, Gary Enrig has said from the pulpit that believers have the privilege of calling God Father. And it's disturbing to him when he hears true believers referring to, oh God, in a prayer. He says it's not wrong, but it's not the privileged way to address God that Jesus gave his true followers. We are to think of him as Father. And that means everything we need, we can bring to him. But even more than that, we can trust him no matter the outcome. Even if we can't see what lies ahead, even if we don't know where this situation is going to end up, we can lean on him. And it's like Richard said before, we were talking to him before we started recording. We asked him how prayer was different for him. And he said, you know, for me, it's just... It's learning to trust instead of begging. Mm-hmm. It's, prayer is now an issue of, I trust God, instead of I'm begging Him for something. Trusting His Word, that it tells us the truth about Him. There's not someone else who's going to come give us more information. The Word is sufficient. I remember one of the things that changed how I prayed after I got saved was understanding that I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. He is not going to leave me. Yeah. I have God in me. And I remember Pastor Gary preaching a sermon, and he talked about people who pray for angels to come and protect them. And he said, I don't need to pray for angels to come and protect me. I have God Himself indwelling me. 
And that was so profound to me. And I then, remember that. And related to that, I remember um, in women's ministry, we were talking a lot about the Holy Spirit sealing us. And I remember Elizabeth Enrig saying, the Holy Spirit is a person. You have him or you don't. You don't yeah. get it's more of him. It's not like you get an arm now and a leg later. Right. And a, you know, obviously that was anthropomorphic. The Holy Spirit doesn't have a right. body. But, <laughs> but her point was, we don't need to pray to get more of him. Right. We have him. We pray to give him more of ourselves. Exactly. We submit to him, to God. Um, but but these kind of truths that we learn about from Scripture, they filter out all of the unnecessary anxieties that we right. have as humans. That's true. And it doesn't mean we won't be disciplined by the Lord, as Hebrews 12 says. Hebrews 12 says that God disciplines those He loves. If you're not being disciplined, you're not a true son. So, obviously, we will go through sufferings. It's how He mm-hmm. makes His power perfect in us. He teaches us to trust Him. He teaches us to trust Him, even using the model of the Lord's Prayer. He teaches us to trust Him to understand that He is our Father and that He is sovereign and holy, and that we can trust and submit to Him without fear if we're His. And He teaches us to trust Him for our daily bread, for what we need. He teaches us to ask Him for His will to be done. And you know, Nikki, that's been one of the hardest things for me, especially right after I came out of Adventism. It was very hard for me to think of asking God for His will when it came to my husband and my children and my health. I was so chronically worried and chronically terrified that something was going to happen and I would lose everything and everyone I loved and I would be left alone or helpless Sounds like trauma, doesn't it? (laughs) But it was a process, but I know that God kept working with me. Once I knew who He was, and He was proving Himself faithful to hold my heart, to keep me from spiraling into frantic anxiety, He started helping me see I needed to trust Him with the boys, with myself, with what was going to happen to me in the future. The big thing for me, and it's interesting because when I think about just the way God had to teach me to trust Him, it kind of addressed all the things that I had anxiety about from my Adventist past. But the last thing that He um, really had to work with me on, and I know how impacting this was for me because it took months for me to realize as I would pray for Richard in the mornings, that I was not really trusting God with Him. And I would stand there as I was praying, as I got ready in the morning, and I would think, you know, I'm a little afraid to ask God to um, take care of him and do whatever is necessary in his life, because I'd think, what if something happened to him? What if he got sick and died? What if he was in a car accident, bloody by the freeway, and I never saw him again? You talk about separation anxiety. (laughs) I was kind of like off the charts for a while. And I finally realized that God would do what was best for Richard and do what was best for me, but He was asking me to trust Him so I didn't live in that fear. And when I was finally able to say, Lord, I do trust you. I give you the care of my husband. I can't do that. I can't look after him at that level. I give that to you. It was absolutely amazing how He resolved my anxiety of being separated from Him. I don't live with that anymore. And that was the Lord. That was Mm -hmm. my Father 
taking Mm -hmm. care of my heart, saying, this is too big for you. You can't protect (laughs) him, but I can, and you can trust me. Again, it's learning those attributes, knowing that he is in control. He's sovereign. He's good. You can trust him with your husband. Mm -hmm. When I started to come to terms with all of that, it changed not only how I prayed about my own life and my own anxieties, it made it so that I could pray the things he asked me to pray in the New Testament. It made it so that I could pray for my enemies now because God is sovereign. And if he wants to, he can cause them to be born from above and make them my family. He's in control and he will determine their fate. And I can trust the people who are sinning against me. I can entrust them to God. I can pray for the church. I can pray for the spreading of the gospel. It took me out of my navel gazing, I guess you might say. I would say that for myself. And into, is it wrong to say partnership with God? I don't know what the right words are, but, but into a place, a posture that wants what God wants. Yeah. Because I know He's good, and I know He's doing something really good, and I want to be a part of it. That's a huge shift in attitude. It's been a huge shift in my own heart. You know, I remember um, several years ago realizing, kind of like seeing for the first time, 2 Timothy 2, 1 to 4, which says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And Nikki, I realized then that I had never been in the habit of praying for our leaders. Mm -hmm. That just seemed like out of the sphere of my immediate life. But you know, in the last couple of years, that's front and center. Yeah, The issue of leaders, that's a really big deal. And I don't always feel like praying for my leaders. But I realize that God is not asking me to pray for them on the basis of their being my brother or sister in Christ. He's asking me to pray for them on the basis of being part of the body of Christ myself. Mm -hmm. And like you said, He's at work in the world. And to pray for our leaders isn't selfish in the sense of, oh, make it good for me. No, he does say, pray so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. That means he's asking Christians to pray for the leaders so that they will have wisdom from him so that we can do the work of God in the world. I would say that coupled with that, when we remember that God is sovereign and he's the one who put them in their position of power... We can take all of our anxiety about what's going on in the world and we can bring it to Him and we can trust Him with it. And then we can turn our thoughts onto those other things He's asked us to think about. And that in itself will enable us also to live peaceful and quiet lives because we're entrusting the crisis to our God who we know has it handled. He's on it. Yeah, and even if we suffer, and we know believers suffer, even if we suffer, He's on it. He's on it. (laughs) And our futures are secure. I know it's an oversimplification, but sometimes I think the answer to every prayer is, who is God? I agree with you. As basic as, Father, what house should I buy? Who is God? God is sovereign. He's going to provide for you. He's going to take care of you while you're looking. He is going to 
lead you where he wants you. I believe that with my whole heart, Nikki. And I can't explain how that works. But I know that the more I trust God, the more I see he really does keep his promises in Matthew 6, that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to us. We do not have to fear. The Gentiles, the unbelievers worry about what we'll eat, drink, and wear. We are to trust him and to desire his will and to put ourselves under his word and allow his spirit to guide us. In the epistles, the apostles pray for these churches to grow in their knowledge of God. We see that all over the place. Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, he says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. So he's praying for these new believers, and he's thanking God for them. And gratitude is such a big part of how we pray. And then he says, For this reason also, Since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints light. That's Colossians 1, 9 to 12. You could spend a long time studying those verses and you could learn a lot about prayer and God's will for you as a believer. And the things that Paul's praying for are not trivial. These are holy, eternal things that actually affect the nitty gritty of one's daily life. So if I'm praying for you, Nikki, that you may be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might, for all endurance and patience and joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I am praying for eternal things in your life that will change how you face the struggles of living with a preteen daughter, a teenage (laughs) boy, and a husband. Yeah. I mean, these things are the most amazing gifts. The families God gives us are amazing gifts, but they always come with our own growth curve. And how do we handle the dynamics that come up that catch us blindsided? Mm -hmm. Prayers like this change how we face life's troubles. Mm -hmm. And the knowledge of God, oh my, we can pray that for one another. We can pray that for ourselves that he will strengthen us with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And these are things that we can know our God's will. If you're not sure what to pray for because you don't exactly know how to pray God's will, just look at the prayers of Paul Mm -hmm. or of Jesus himself in the book of John or the prayers of Peter. The way the Bible models prayer for one another This is God's will. We can pray these passages for ourselves and for our loved ones. And God knows how to fulfill them. We may not even know what it means to be strengthened with all power and knowledge with joy. 
but he does. And looking back, don't you see that he's done that in different ways that than you would have ever expected? Yes, absolutely. In ways that I would not have asked for. <laughs> right. <laughs> that too. <laughs> but I can look back at it now and thank him, truly thank him, because of what he showed me about himself. We all know people who are facing really life-threatening or livelihood-threatening situations right now. There's just such a variety of things that people are facing that they never saw coming. I can think of a friend who's facing a debilitating disease. I can think of another one who is facing a serious surgery. But we can pray for these people that God's will will be done, that He will glorify Himself in what they're facing. And because these people I mentioned are believers— We know absolutely that God will glorify Himself in their lives as they submit to Him, so we can pray for their ability to trust Him. Like Chris Lee prayed for me all those years back when he prayed Philippians 4 Mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. It's just taken a lot of burden off of me knowing that I don't have to know specifically every detail of what I need to pray for any given person, but I can know that God knows their details And I can pray these attributes of Him and these qualities of life in Him for the people in my life. And what we know about God and what we know about salvation and reality also informs how we pray for unbelievers. I remember Pastor Gary again (laughs) preaching a sermon on prayer and praying for unbelievers, and he said, we pray that they would know their need. Yeah. We need to pray that they would know their need. So many believe that they know what they need and they've got it covered, but they need to know their need for God, for His Savior. And then we pray that God would open their eyes to see truth, their ears to hear truth. We pray that they would be drawn to His Word, yeah. where that truth is lies. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we pray that He would grant them repentance. And that was one that was really interesting to me. I did not understand before as an Adventist that God actually grants people repentance, that He opens their eyes and grants them repentance. Scripture talks about Jesus being exalted to the Father's right hand as a prince and a Savior to grant repentance to Israel. In Acts 11, Peter gave God the glory for granting repentance to the Gentiles. And we know from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 23 through 26, that the way that we interact with unbelievers can lead to God granting them repentance and rescuing them from the snares of deception and evil. And so, we have evidence in Scripture that it's God who extends that to people. And so we pray for our unbelieving family and unbelieving loved ones that they would know their need, that God would give them repentance and hearts that believe, and that He would cause them to be born again and bring them home. That's so neat, Nikki. That's such a wonderful prayer. And that's all we can do. It's not up to us to open the eyes of the unbelieving. It's up to us to trust God and to be obedient to His commands to believers And to pray for those who don't know Him. And He knows what to do with them and how to hold our hearts in the meantime. We also know that there's one other thing that the Lord's Prayer models, and that is asking God to protect us from the evil one and from temptation. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that our fight, our big fight is not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and rulers of the air. And we can know as true children of God that the 
temptations we face, the oppositions we face, the struggles we face often have a spiritual component to them. And we can ask our Father to protect us from the evil one. Now, that's not superstitious. And I think that for people who have been Adventists, that sometimes feels a little scary. Or do we want to even admit out loud that we might need protection from evil? But the Bible is very open about it. The Bible is also very clear that God is sovereign even over the devil and evil. So we can pray, and we're instructed to, to pray that we will stand in the evil day that's coming, that we will stand no matter what we're in, that He will protect us from evil, that He will protect us from the rulers and powers of the air, and that He will keep us clothed firmly in His armor that protects us from all those things. And we don't have to fear. That's the difference for me from now and Adventism. I don't have fear about these things anymore. I used to be afraid all the time, internally, at the corner of my mind, worrying about the future. I don't do that anymore. Yeah, me either. And that's because I know my Father has me. Mm-hmm. So as we think about these things the Bible has said about prayer and about who God is and who we are in Him, I'm just going to close by praying for us all. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for being our Father and for seeing us when we were dead in sin, lost in the despair of our own minds and our own fear and our worry and anxiety. Thank you for opening our eyes to who Jesus is and for showing us that ripped curtain that leads us directly to you. Thank you that you receive all who come to you. And I pray for the people who are listening, that if they haven't trusted you, that they will, that they will see who Jesus is and what he has done in his completed sacrifice, death, and resurrection, and that they will walk towards you through that ripped curtain on the basis of the blood of Jesus and trust you. And for those who do know you, I pray that you will reassure them that you will help us all to stand firmly grounded in your word, that you will protect us with your truth, with your love, with your constancy, and with the unfailing promises that are ours in Christ. Thank you for being our true Father, for transforming our life, for bringing us into your story and your family. And we trust you and we love you. Amen. If you have questions or comments for us, write to us at formeradventist at gmail.com. Visit proclamationmagazine.com to sign up for our weekly emails containing new online articles every week to your email box. You can like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And join us next week as we continue our series on the life after Adventism. We'll see you then.